Chorsey Eisen for like <laughs> dog. And a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham County, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, just a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. We're heading west for this week's podcast and chatting to Cork GAA PRO and Bears Secretary Joe Blake. We'll chat to Joe about his role with Cork and the challenges facing clubs in Beira. But we're going to start with Munster's loss to Toulouse at the weekend. The performance was much better than the previous week's defeat against Leinster in the Pro 14 final. And a certain skibbereen back rower had a big part to play in that. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Tom Savage of Three Red Kings to chat about the game. But Kieran, firstly, what did you make of the performance? I saw in his report for the 42.ie, Murray Kinsella said, Coombs is the man Munster should build their pack around now that CJ Stander has retired. Munster have come up short in the last two weekends in their two biggest games of the season, Jack. They lost to Leinster in the Pro 14 final and obviously to lose last weekend. But Gavin Coombs emerged out of both games with his reputation enhanced even further. He was, you, you could say, Munster's best player in both those games. And you've got to consider this is a 23-year-old back rower who's in his first proper season um, with, 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 a, with Munster. And he's putting in performance after performance. He got two tries against Toulouse last weekend. And that's 11 tries for the season. And just look at the plaudits that came his way after Keith Wood and off the ball described him as phenomenal. Um, Fergus McFadden on Sports Joe described his performance last Saturday as outstanding. Eamor Considine said he's been brilliant all season. Like we said there, Murray Kinsler was singing his praises on the 42 as well. And go back a couple of weeks ago and we got the thoughts of former Munster number eight, James Collin, um, in the Southern Star. And he was saying that, that Gavin is a player who should be Munster's number eight for the next 10 years uh, Dunico Callahan was on TV commentary the last day as well. And after Gavin's tap and go try in the in the second half, um, he said it was like watching an under tens game because Gavin just powered over the the, the, the Toulouse players. Like he's a six foot six inch joint. He's a he's a beast of a man, and he's really learning the game now. And he's getting better and better and better. And it's only a couple of months ago that he was called into the Ireland senior squad for training for the first time. But surely, Jack, it's only a matter of time before he's kept at senior international level for the first time too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's throw now to the chat you had with Tom Savage of Three Red Kings to review Gavin Coombs' performance and Munster's loss to Toulouse. We're joined now on the podcast by Tom Savage, um, the well-known man behind the very popular Three Red Kings uh, website. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Tom, to chat about Gavin Coombs and Munster. No bother, thank you very much. Delighted to speak about Gavin Coombs, especially after last weekend. He was incredible again last weekend against Toulouse. I know the game didn't go Munster's way, they, they bowed out of the Champions Cup. But what a power-packed performance by Gavin Coombs. Two tries, another sensational display. The man can do no wrong at the moment. Unbelievable. Um, you look at Gavin Coombs' season this year, I mean, he had a relatively quite enough year last year. 
one or two decent performances. He was unlucky with injury in one or two games. But he started this season, I think he came off the bench against the Scarlets in that first game of the Pro 14 season and arguably turned the game in Munster's favour with some of the work he was doing. And that's just continued all season long. Uh, he's scoring tries, which is always something that people will notice. But it's not just that. It's the, the completeness of his game. He's, he can play in the line-out uh, defensively, uh, mall defence. He's very strong there. Defensively, breakdown threat, ball carrying is unbelievable. His passing is superb as well. Look, uh, he's a guy who I always had a lot of uh, time for. I wrote recently about how I saw him uh, against Jersey Reds in a British and Irish Cup final up in Montreal Park a few years ago, destroying like tough, big players from the English Championship in contact and thought, well, this, this guy could be a player. And he's kind of just even just kept on going even beyond those expectations. Uh, this season has been big factor in, in, in the one of the tries that got Munster going in that game, uh, played well against Harlequins. He's it's really turned into a core player for Munster in their back five. And, you know, you look at a season where CJ Sander is, you know, going to be leaving the province at the end of the year. Uh, and it got Kevin Coombs showing you know, a CJ Sander tier player for this province and, you know, before long, uh, Ireland as well. If you look at the plaudits that's come his way, Tom, since the game against Toulouse, I see Keith Wooden off the ball was saying he had an incredible season. He's been phenomenal. Um, Donnick O'Callaghan was singing his praises on TV commentary. I look at Murray Kinsella from the 42, like you touched on there. Um, Murray said CJ Stender is retiring, but clearly Munster have already found the talisman to build their pack and team around. And this is a, a man from Skibreen who's still only 23 years of age, but already he seems to have elevated his game to the next level. He's become a leader in, in this Munster team all of a sudden. Oh, it, it, it seems that way. You know, uh, when you have a guy like that coming in, a young player, you know, it was, this, is the, this is his second year as, as a full senior professional. The scale up in his performances have been superb. I mean, he's a guy who needed a bit of time. Uh, there's no real reason I feel to, to rush a lot of these younger players. I mean, and, and people may have raised some eyebrows last year wondering well, why is, is Gavin Coombs not playing more? Well, this year he has come in and almost been like a top signing from abroad. Like you look at his impact, the way that he's turned games in his fa- in, in Munster's favour. Look, this is like incredible performance. And it's, and it's a guy who like, again, you just look at the, at the roundness and the completeness of his game. I look at nowhere at the moment where I'm thinking, well, that's an area of his game now that needs a lot of work or whatever else. He's coming in and, and almost this season just being a top guy straight away. Like, and, and it's obviously not straight away. It's been a gradual process for him. But a, a performance overall this season, even, even this game on Saturday, some of the guys he was uh, like, you know, coming up against there physically, not small men by any means. Uh, you look at his try that he scored. It was a remarkable bit of play. I mean, to lose, we're waiting for him. Like you have guys like uh, Marshawn, you have guys like um, Jerome Kano there, uh, you know, uh, uh, Talafua, big, physical, strong men, internationals. And uh, they knew he was coming five meters out and he just tapped and went and ran over them anyway. And like the latch that came behind him wasn't even that good. And he still had the power to get over. That is not normal. Like that is not a, that, like that is not something that every young player is doing at this level against a team like Toulouse. That's a huge bonus for him. And he, and he played incredibly last week as well against a very strong Leinster team too. This is a guy who I think is really, over the course of this season, gone from being a player who I think they had a lot of hope for 
a, a guy who was, uh, you know, potentially quite go- going to be a big player for Munster in a few years, maybe, to being a guy who is that guy right now. Which, again, you look you look at his skill set. You know, forget about numbers in the back for a minute, six or eight or whatever else. This is a guy who's playing a power forward role for Munster and doing it to the highest standard against, you know, benchmark teams in Europe at the moment in, in, in Leinster and in Toulouse. That's a very, very special uh, performance from, from Gavin Coombs that would have made not just people in Munster, not just Andy Farrell, but people all, all over the, the game in Europe would have looked at him and gone, geez, who's this guy? And uh, it bodes very, very well for the future as long as he can uh, avoid too much trouble with injury. We obviously know CJ Standers heading back home after the end of the season. And a lot of people, well, a few people have said that um, Gavin is the man to fill that number eight jersey. Do you think that's going to be his, his, his home for the next couple of years, Tom? Uh, I do. Yeah, look, I, I, I think when you look at uh, how Gavin has performed this year, uh, he has looked particularly good in that number eight jersey. You just look at some of the qualities he brings there, his skill set, his control at the, at the back of the scrum. And look, we saw on Saturday there was only, what, two or three scrums all game. You know, only one of them were, was an attacking scrum for Munster. So it's not all about just the set piece. But that number eight jersey, I feel, you know, you look at the iconic players who have worn that, you know, uh, Anthony Foley, Dennis Leamy. Uh, and then you look at a guy like uh, CJ Stender, you know, an icon for Munster, I think, over the last number of years, who also made his name against Toulouse in, in, in a game back in 2013. Uh, I, I think that Gavin Coombs now would not be surprised to see him be the main man who is, wears that number eight jersey going forward because he seems to have that ability that like, not a lot of players have that he can get over the game line and do so repeatedly despite being targeted by multiple players. You know? and, and again, like, this is why what we saw on Saturday was so remarkable because... To lose by the time the second half had worn around, we're well aware of what Gavin Coombs could do, and he was still doing it anyway. Uh, it's a fantastic, you know, it, 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 he's a credit to his own ability, his own work rate, his own belief in himself, and all the people who helped bring him to this stage. You now, he's still only in the early goings of his career, of course, but I look at what Gavin Coombs is capable of and what we saw on Saturday. I think there's a very special player here, both for Munster and for Ireland, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes over the next number of years. We saw earlier in the year, Andy Farrell obviously brought him into the Ireland uh, senior training squad for a couple of days. But surely it's only a matter of time before we see Gavin Coombs capped at, at, at international level for Ireland, at senior international level. I, I, I would say so. I, I, I think that's, you know, bar, like I said, you know, touch wood with injury. Uh, coaches look at games like this, you know, big European games, big interpros, and they look at guys, well, who's performing in those games? If you're looking at fellas in either in a red shirt or a blue shirt, I'm not sure there was many players who were as impressive as Gavin Coombs in that game last weekend against Leinster. Munster lost and didn't play well, but Gavin Coombs in that game was outstanding. And again, this weekend against Toulouse, a team who, you know, they'll, they'll probably make a final this year in the, in the Champions Cup. For Gavin Coombs to play as well as he did there as well, Andy Farrell can't look at that and go, look, he can't be thinking anything else other than I need to get this guy in green jersey pretty quick. Especially when you look at the hole left by CJ Stander, Gavin Coombe showed in this game that he can carry ball all over the line. He can carry off nine. He can carry further out. Uh, he can pass the ball. He's in, like that's one of the one of, one of his biggest abilities is the strength of his passing. I think he's a very modern player, and I, I think when you look at what you know, you look at a test level, you need athletes with size, with a skill set, with the power to deal with the you know again the size of the athletes on the other side of the ball these days. I think Andy Farrell would be looking at that and I can't see any reason why 
Gavin Coombs could not be playing for Ireland, getting his first cap and maybe more whenever there's next internationals on. I mean, it really was a, like the last two performances show, look, this isn't a flash in the pan. This isn't a guy who's had a, you know one good game here or there. He's been fantastic all season long. And this, these last two games and big, big knockout games for Munster, only just more proof of a guy who is really starting to kind of nail down what he is as a top international player in waiting. You're the man too, Tom, who coined the well-known phrase now, West Cork Mafia. And now we've Gavin Coombs leading that charge, a six-foot-six-inch beast of a man from, from Bettsboro, just outside Skibbereen. He's going to keep West Cork rugby in the headlines for, for years to come, isn't he? He really is. And, you know, there's, there's more coming. Uh, you look at Keen Hurley, recently taken into the academy. Uh, you've James French, who went on to a senior deal, uh, loose head prop, over the, the, over the last couple of weeks, actually. And this is a guy who has been injured for the majority of the last number of years. But in a time when contracts aren't very easy to come by, gets a contract. That'll show you how much they rate this young player. Never mind John Hodness. He's got to come back from an Achilles injury, yes. But he's a guy who I feel is another player who is waiting to have a Gavin Coombs-style season next year once we can get him back fit out onto the field. Never mind Josh Witcherly. Never mind Jack Crowley. All these other players that are coming as well. Look, there's more coming. And I think that you look at the... The, the, the numbers and the players that are coming through in West Cork Rugby, Darren Sweetenham may be heading away from Munster now, heading to La Rochelle now, and then after that, who knows? But the charge that he led as a player to show these young men what could be possible for them to go forward and to play for the senior uh, Munster side and then go on to play for Ireland. Look, I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing. You know, you look at Josh Witcherly, Finney Witcherly, other players as well who've come along too. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this is still GA country. I wrote that in an article there last week for the, for the star. But you look at the opportunities that there's there now for these young men to come through and go, look, I can make a career out of this. I can be a professional athlete for Munster. I can go on to play for Ireland and, and be a professional athlete. I think that's a very tempting thing. And when they see lads like Gavin Coombs doing it and, and you know guys like Liam Coombs to come and, and all the other fellas, they'll be thinking, well, geez, maybe I can do that as well. Uh, and Munster will be deli- delighted to take them. I think that's great news for all sports fans and rugby fans in West Cork. But before I let you go, Tom, just a quick word on Munster. Came up short in two big tests in the last two weekends, like we just said, they're losing to to, to Toulouse and to Leinster. How far are Munster away from those top, top teams? Uh, It's it's weird, you know, like I genuinely think that Munster aren't that far away. Um, But when you lose to, to Leinster last weekend and then to lose this weekend, you know, it's it's fairly it's it's a fairly difficult road to plow, really, when you're talking about okay, yeah, they're 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 close, but you know, you can kind of end up sounding a little bit delusional when you keep going on like that. I don't think I am. Uh, I think when you look at where Munster need to improve, uh, I think you look at the front five, and not necessarily numbers one, two, five. I'm talking about their the consistency of their ball carrying uh, when it comes through the forwards. I think I look at the improvement Munster have made in their overall attacking structure. I think he's been quite good. I mean, they didn't really show it against Leinster, mind, but I think in this game, in 20 modern game, it's still very much a power game. It's never really not been a power game. I think where Munster need to improve is to get guys through. And I mean, look, they've signed Jason Jenkins next year. I think he's a fantastic signing for Munster. I think he will give the overall uh, strength of the pack. I think it will allow guys to come through a little bit easier. A guy like Jason Jenkins, for me, makes it easier for a guy like Josh Witcherly, makes it easier for a guy like James French, makes it easier for a guy like Keenan Knox and Roman Salano on the other side because he just 
increases the overall strength of Munster's ball carrying rotation in that forwards. That's like that's going to be the biggest thing for Munster. If they can start imposing more uh, through the forwards, through the tight five forwards in particular, I think Munster have a game that can all of a sudden next year keep RG's name and fit, which will be hugely important. I think that they have a game that can start to really impose teams because right now I don't think Munster are that far away. But you could tell on Saturday, power started to tell during the game, especially in the second half. To lose, turn up the heat. Munster were struggling to live with them. And it wasn't necessarily offloads and all this sort of stuff. It came through forward pressure up the middle of the field. You've guys like Gavin Coombs playing very well, John Klain playing very well. But, you know, guys were just kind of surviving with fellas like Jota Corey, the size that Toulouse had. And the same, the, the, the size that Leinster have too, let's not forget. That's something I feel that if Munster can bridge that gap, I think it's something like maybe two or three players, and even two or three players who are already in the province, stepping up that extra level, I think could make all the difference for Munster over the next year. Good to finish on a positive note. Thanks, Tom, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Now, Kieran, on Saturday, you caught up with friend of the show, Joe Blake, who is, of course, Cork, GAPRO, and Bear as secretary. So how was Joe and uh, what did you talk about? Joe is a very busy man as always, Jack. He's, like you said there, he's a Cork PRO. He's the secretary of the Bearer Board. He's also an Edrigo GA Club man. And on Sunday, he was up bright and early on Sunday morning because Edrigo GA Club was running a fundraiser over the Easter weekend because they're raising funds for a heart screening um, for the players and club members. So at the crack of dawn on Easter Sunday morning, Joe Blake was spotted on the walkway around Edrigo GA's club grounds First, he was there with a football and then rumour has it that he did have a hurley and slitter in his hand and I'd actually pay good money to see that picture. But in fact, Jack, we have that very picture in this week's Southern Star. So that's well worth picking up this week, this Thursday Star to see a picture of Joe Blake with a hurley in his hand and it's not a weapon. But uh, like, like you said there, Joe was in good form. We chatted about Bear GA. We chatted about Rebels Bounty. We chatted about the Adrigold fundraiser. We chatted about the Cork Minor Footballers fundraiser this weekend. So we got through a lot in our chat last weekend. We're joined now on the podcast by a man who has many roles within the GA, from the county board to the Bearer board to Adrigold. Um, welcome back to the podcast, Joe Blake. Thanks, Kieran. It's great to be back. The last time we had you on the podcast, Joe, it's gone back to you as well over 12 months ago, and that was an in-person meeting in the Southern Star office, but the, the world has changed since then. So just to check, how has is, how is Joe Blake been keeping the last 12 months or so? Yeah, it's uh, obviously, I think it was December uh, 2019, I, I paid a visit to the Southern Star office, and um, uh, we had a chat, and um, I suppose look, so much has changed in the last 12 to 15 months. Um, I suppose last year was was difficult. Um, at the end of January, start, my own father took ill, had a stroke, and at the, in the middle of February, he, he passed away. And I suppose that was obviously a, a big part in my life. And uh, no sooner had that, and I suppose at the time, you're trying to juggle work and trying to um, also be PRO the county board. So it was a really difficult time. And then obviously, I remember no sooner had, had that happened than we went into, into lockdown. So um, I remember actually um, being up in the GA Congress in, in Pro Park, at the, I think it was the end, end of uh, February. And uh, the, I remember driving over to um, Galway. There was a National Hurling League game on and I stayed in Galway on the Saturday night. 
It was actually that weekend that the first case was announced of uh, COVID was in Ireland. So within a couple of weeks, the whole country's locked down. And I suppose look, the first lockdown wasn't too bad. It was kind of a novelty to everybody. And you know what? It wasn't, in, in a way, it was kind of a, a bit of a break for me because um, obviously I, myself and my family, we'd been through a lot the previous couple of months. And um, it was no harm to kind of just put the brakes on and reassess things. And you no, know, I suppose it was in what April May time so everybody was out to have to go for walks and it was great to, to meet neighbors and stuff like that and then kind of things went went, went back to somewhere normal during the summer and then games resumed with county championships and then that kind of finished and then we kind of went into another lockdown and we had more um but looking enough I was able to go to um the inter-county games, so I was lucky enough to be able to go to Taurus and Limerick and Park and Queen for matches, and that was great. But I suppose the last couple of months I found really difficult because the weather has been poor, even though the clocks have just changed, and there's no live sport to go to, there's no games to go to, so I've really found the last couple of months um, testing. Um, I've actually gone back into the office for a couple of days a week, so and that's been great too as well in Cork. So just the human interaction but i did really find january and february really really testing because there was no live sport to go to and there was no really ga on the television and obviously the weather was bad so look i suppose it's it, the weather was after getting a bit good now stocks are after going forward and um look hopefully it's not too long before um games are back on the scene i think that's the hope that's shared by everyone joe and like I was saying at the start of the, our chat here, you're a very busy man. And I'm going to start off chatting about the bearer board because there's been wholesale changes to the top table out west. And we have a new chairman, a new secretary and a new treasurer because several board members from the previous board did not seek re-election to this year. So we've Castletown Bearman, Michael Murphy is the new chairman. You're the new secretary and Michael Joe O'Sullivan from Adragon is the new treasurer. So give us a bit of background on this, Joe, and what necessitated these changes and what was the whole process then of finding new officers for those positions? Well, I suppose we, we start off by saying that we had three officers step down in who gave tremendous service, not just last year, but over the last number of years, and not alone the last number of years, but they've given great service to their club in, for God knows how long. Um, Jim Han, he'd been the chairman from Bear Island, um, Shirley Murphy being the secretary from Glengarriff and James Shea was um, the vice chairperson from Jamish. And I suppose in Jim's case, he was commuting up and down from Cork to, down to Castletown Bear for meetings for a couple of years. I know last year it was mainly done virtually online. So I suppose like um, it was hard and Jim decided to step down. Um, he's got a young family. He's work, working in Cork, living in Cork and um, and then the other two, I was serving as PRO and actually Michael Joe Sullivan was treasurer last year. I think he might have been treasurer the year before as well, or co-treasurer. And um, look, I suppose it's like anything else, it's, it, especially for Jim, it was demanding going up and down the road for meetings and stuff like that. So I suppose what happened was at the tail end of last year, nominations were sought and nominations weren't really forthcoming. I had put my name in for um, PRO. Michael Joe Sullivan had put his name in for treasurer, but there was no one nominated for secretary and uh, chairperson. So I suppose, look, um, we had our AGM in um, 
in December, but there was no there was no name support coming for uh, many of the positions. So I suppose over Christmas time and start of the year, there was a, a bit of reflection um, took place, and I know Connor Coonhan um, in his role as uh, football coordinator, project coordinator. Uh, he was involved at the time with Revis Bounty um, speaking to the Bearer Club. So I suppose look, he spoke and took soundings um, from different clubs and different individuals. And um, the county board kind of ran the, the nomination process. So um, everything went through the county board. So I suppose from my own point of view, I was um, asked by my own club what I consider going forward and put my name forward for secretary. And I did. And, Michael Joe Sullivan um, put his name forward for um, uh, for treasurer. That was from our own club, and, and then obviously Michael Murphy uh, from Castle Bear put his name forward for uh, chairperson. And those we were elected, and then in the meantime we've um, co-opted a, a few a few more people too as well. Uh, Sinead Whelan has come in as co-treasurer. Florrie Harrington has come in as cultural officer, and Chairman uh, Sullivan has come in as um, vice chairperson. So we now have six officers. So look, it's, it's, I suppose it's just onwards and upwards for the year ahead. And like you mentioned there, Jim Handy, he did incredible work and the previous board in the last number of years. And I'm thinking today, bear a strategic review that was carried out and so on, because we all know that I suppose the problems or the challenges that exist for, for clubs and bear and the bear board. So we're talking about the population and all, all that sort, Joe. So, just on those challenges, um, what, you, what, what do you feel are the big challenges for, for Beira and its clubs going forward? It is, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's um, migration and rural depopulation. And um, Jim and his team did a lot of work in terms of the strategic plan. I suppose just timing was bad in a way that it was kind of due to be published or consultations to be had kind of this time 12 months ago. And then the whole lockdown came and it didn't really... It didn't really happen, but look, it's something hopefully we can revisit in, in the future. Um, my, as I said, migration and um, not necessarily immigration, because you've a lot of people, you don't have too many actually even going to other countries. It's, it's, and I often think about there's people who, when they do their leaving cert, they, um, they go to college in Cork or Limerick, and next thing they find a job in, um, in Cork, and then they, they'll still play with their club. But the next generation, isn't uh, following afterwards. And I often look at the Bearer team of 1997 that won the county. A lot, more, nearly every one of them, if not all of them, finished playing with their um, with their clubs despite being despite being uh, based maybe in Cork City. But the next generation isn't following after them. So if you go up around Cork City and the suburbs, you'd see a load of kids playing whose fathers are mothers, but especially we'd say fathers have actually come out of Beira and might have been on that Beira in 1917. And what you're not alone are you losing the next generation of players. But what you find is that those fellas who might have played for Beira in the past and played for the clubs in Beira, they've now shown their lasting with, no, they're, they're, I, I don't want to call them, they're adopted clubs, but the clubs maybe where their kids in, are in. So what we've done is we've lost, we've lost administrators, we've lost potential coaches, um, because of uh, migration to the, the bigger urban areas. But I think it's actually funny you know that actually COVID might actually start a reverse trend of this because 
with the whole working from home and the um, they're calling it the hybrid working model where people might be able to only have to go into the office one day a week. What you might find is you might find a lot of people who might reevaluate things and might decide, you know, there's a better quality of life living in Beira and working from home, but still maybe going up to the office in Cork one day a week or maybe having to go to Dublin maybe twice a month or something like that. So what you could actually see is people returning to Beira and other rural areas, you know, Halloween and Cork, but maybe along the western seaboard, where they'd still be able to work from home, maybe going to the office one day a week, and then club, clubs in rural areas might actually benefit from it. But coming back to Beira, it's it's a numbers game, and I look at you know I remember being in all you do is look at the national schools, look at the secondary schools. You can see that the numbers are dropping and dropping. And I remember when I was going to secondary school in, in the 90s in uh, Castleton Bear, there was nearly 450 people in, in, in the school. I think there's under 300 there now. So it just goes to show that over the space of time, over a generation, that um, the numbers are dropping. And you can just see with the amalgamations that you at my own club as well. We we amalgamate with Lingarf at um at underage level for Cahog, Bear Island and Garnisher in with Castleton Bear. So you can see where maybe 20 odd years ago that wasn't happening, it's happening now. And if they're if they're amalgamating at or forming independent teams at um underage level now, that's gonna have a big knockdown effect in, in years to come because um, there's only one open down the road. So, I mean, hopefully that COVID, that if it does have any positive um, upside, that it might be, people might be assessed and decide, look, I can work from Adjigal or Garnish or Castleton Bear or anywhere else in Beira or in rural Ireland and still work in their, in their job that might be based in Park City and maybe, or Limerick or whatever, and maybe communicate up there once a week. So look, there's many challenges that face Bearer, but it's down to numbers. That's that's the main one. Talking about the pull of Bearer, Joe, before we start a chat, you showed me the view out your front door and we're recording this podcast on a Saturday morning and absolutely stunning because Bearer is one of these hidden gems like we all know about Bearer and, it, and its scenery and its people and so on. But it still is almost a hidden gem because it's an incredible part of the world. It is. And you know what? Sometimes we're... We 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 um we like to keep it a hidden gem too as well and obviously but we obviously want to promote it we don't want to give away all our secrets especially to our neighbours over the county bounds but no, no it's a beautiful place and it's a unique place like anytime I'm driving down from Cork um you go over to Kusan and you can see the mountains in the distance and then you come to Balaliki and you're on the Bear Peninsula and um, Patrick Kerry too as well as on the Bear Peninsula so you can you can claim a bit there here. But no, it, it's beautiful and there's a great kind of way of life down here. It's very laid back. Everybody knows everybody because kind of from Glingarroch West, everybody would have gone to school in Castleton Bear and the Glingarroch people would have probably gone to secondary school in Bantry. But from Adrigal West, everybody, it's the one secondary school. So everybody knows everybody. You either went to school with somebody or you went to school with their brother or their sister or they're a year ahead of you or a year behind you. And it's very kind of, there's kind of a bare way of life too as well. It's not too rushed and people don't get too excited and things will get done and you know we might be a few minutes late for meetings or podcasts or stuff like that. So but no, you know, the scenery down here is beautiful. And if you drive along, if you do the ring of bear going from Madge going into um 
into Castle Tombeo and go out to um, out towards um, Garnish and Adahees, out towards the Dursey, back in towards uh, Groom, Marie's, and back into Castle Tombeo. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's not too spoilt. You know, sometimes I often um, look maybe over the county bounds and it's very kind of, there's maybe too many holiday homes and stuff like that. And very tourism driven while here. It's more natural scenic beauty. And I know I have a friend of mine who lives down, lives up near Charleville. And anytime he uh, comes down here and he just describes it as heaven on earth. So that's the, maybe that's the description I'll give it. But no, it's, it's, it's beautiful down here. And I really enjoy being down here in Beira. And you know, obviously, look, there's a great rivalry between the clubs down here. and. It's always good crack too as well. So uh, no, it's beautiful down here. I may continue. I think you've just secured a job on the Bearer Tourist Board and sign me up to the Bearer Way of Life, Joe. It, it sounds super, but just we, we'll to... have to get you down. We'll have to get you down here again, Kieran, because I know you were down here a couple of years ago and uh, down in down in the Bearer Coast or sorry, the Bearer Labs at Lansborough website. So we'd have to give you the tour of Bearer when restrictions allow. 100% sign me up for that. Um, I'm going to move on now to Adrigal because last weekend too, Joe, your own club Adrigal held a fundraiser over Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday it was to to raise funds for heart screening and for the players' funds. So just fill us in on that. And and also the donations, people can still donate to this great cause, can't they? Yeah, I suppose look, the idea was, I think it was the end of January, start of February. Uh, I think it was really the end of January, but look, it was a tough time for our own club. There was uh, three people died uh, in our club in the space of a week, and um, two of them would have been committee members. Um, former player, Connie Joe O'Sullivan, um, Mary Ellen O'Sullivan, who, who was on our committee and was um, vice president, and of course, Aidan Kremen, who was from Kerry, but he was a guard here a long time, and um, he died. He was, I think, a reporting officer, so that really hit the club hard and look, I suppose people like them had given night and day service that any time you pass the pitch, you'd nearly see Aidan there when when we hadn't COVID, he was there and he had a great way with the kids and Mary Ellen and others did great time, put in massive hours and massive time in the club. And I'm thinking about other people too as well. The likes of the people who are no longer with us, the likes of Marie Goggin and Tony Carey and others who um who passed on and they put in night and day. They they would spend a lot of time in the club. And if you look at our club now, we put in new floodlights last year. We have great facilities there. We have a community hall, dressing rooms, gym, astroturf. And that doesn't come by, that doesn't happen by just sitting down and doing nothing. You really have to put in the work. So I suppose up to, um, last year we did a fundraiser. I think it, was, it could have been Easter weekend or May or June bank holiday weekend for um, Marymount. And... Um, I suppose this year we decided to do a fundraiser and the night and day concept is, uh, or day and night was that we'd, um, it just to kind of acknowledge the work that was done in the pitch day and night by people who are still with us, but people who have also passed on. And I suppose back in 2016, we did um, a heart screening, a medical screening process for the players and um, those involved with teams. And um, it was interesting that one case actually came back that had to be looked at. And it just goes to show that how important looking after your health and the physical health or mental health or, and stuff like that is. And our players give great service to the club. They travel long distances um, up and down from Cork. Um, in normal years, when pre-COVID and stuff like that, 
So look, it's important that we look after our own as well as people and charities outside the club. So I suppose last year when we put in the floodlights, we put in a walkway around the pitch too as well. So we're doing what we did was um, we allocated times over the weekend from Saturday morning to Sunday morning. I was on bright and early Sunday morning as, as one person in the media was wondering was it to coincide with the, the rising of our Lord that I was on the pitch but the sun was rising in Ashford Was it a coincidence? But I was out, I was soloing, I brought a football in um, for half an hour, so I soloed around on the walkway for half an hour doing a few laps. Then I did a few laps soloing with a hurling slitter too as well. Um, much to the amusement of a, a few people. Um, so look, it, it, it was it was an important thing to do because it just kind of keeps the community together, keeps the, the club people in touch with each other and it tends to keep morale high too as well so look donations can be made on the i donate page and um, just like to thank everybody who's donated so far but if you go onto the ad go j website will bring you to the link to the i donate page so um just like to thank everybody who um who, who's helped us so far and look it's open for another couple of weeks so all donations are appreciated a superb fundraiser and congrats to Adrigo and GA Club on that and like you said people can still donate right now and just on to another fundraiser that's going to happen quite soon it's the Cork Minor Footballers they're going to run a group of fundraising events to raise funds for two charities that's Marymount University Hospital and Hospice and Pieta House so this is on Sunday April 11th John each panel member will run five kilometres within their own five kilometre radius and in cordons with COVID regulations and they'll wear their club colours. Another brilliant idea and it's well worth supporting. So what's the background to this and how can people support this fundraiser? Yeah, I, I suppose I got a notification um, a couple of days ago from the Cork Minor Manager and um, I think it's a great idea. It, it, it's, I suppose, most of those lads are 16, 17-year-olds. So it might be the first time that they're involved in a, a charitable fundraiser. So I suppose... It's a great idea, great charities, and it, it, it's it'd be great to see the pictures going up on up online next week of the guys doing their run within their 5K. And look, if anybody wants to donate, they can log on to the CockJ website and uh, the news article is there, and that'll bring you to the I don't uh, I think they donate page too as well, so you can donate donate there. But just I think look, I'm looking forward to um, hopefully the Cork miners will get um will get to play games this year in, in, in both hurling and football. And look, we've two we've two new managers involved in both teams. So look, it's um look forward to working with the management teams and with the players a bit too as well in the year ahead. But look it's it, it, it's great to see that um like the chances are that team, that panel, they might have haven't come together very much. They probably haven't come together as a as a panel since like um in, in since the, they've taken over the management team because they took over in January and obviously restrictions are in place. So they're probably only meeting each other virtually online on, on Zoom and Teams and stuff like that. So it's a, I suppose it's been hard to build up maybe uh, a lot of them obviously would have known each other through development squads, but in terms of minors, they probably haven't even met. Like, so it's, uh, it's a good way for them to stay in touch and build up kind of team morale. But it's, it's also very important too that vital funds are raised for the charity. So if anybody wants to go and donate for that, they can go onto the, the CockJ website and then see the news item and um, uh, they can make a donation there too as well. You just mentioned 
there, Joe, about this, but the Cork Minor team did have to meet up virtually online. And in the last 12 months since the pandemic struck, so much has gone online. Like this podcast now is on Zoom. There's teams and so on. Far, I suppose, far going forward, like one of the silver linings to what we've learned in the pandemic, let's say from, for GA clubs, remote GA clubs and so on, now that members um, don't have to travel down from the city to Beira to attend a, a board meeting, that now maybe the, thing, the meetings can be held online, that must be a positive that we can take on forward, that it might help more people get involved in clubs and get back involved with their clubs again, because it's going to be a lot more accessible now to attend a meeting if it's held virtually online, like, like so many are right now. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that there was a club AGMs. I was being told the clubs who had their AGMs online before Christmas, they had bigger turnouts online than they had actually who would go into a, a committee room because you could have people who might actually be still, how would you say, former club members or club members, but they might be living abroad and they could still be um, contributing to the club maybe in a financial way, but now they're actually able to log into their AGM maybe from Australia or America or the UK or anywhere in the world and um, what do you call, um, still have a, probably a clo- closer connection now to you know and listen into the AGM than, than, when, they're, than when, when they couldn't. I, look, I suppose nothing beats uh, um, a good face-to-face meeting. I just find, like, obviously... We've been, I think, in the Cork Executive, since the pandemic, we only had one face-to-face meeting. We actually had a committee meeting when restrictions allowed during the summer. I think it was in July we were able to have a meeting. And we've only had one meeting since. So there's pros and cons to it. Obviously, look, it's a lot easier travel-wise um, not to have to go into um, maybe into Cork for meetings or vice versa, going down to Bear or whatever. But you can't beat the cotton trust up around the table good old arguments, good old debate, and even even county board meetings, oh, you've missed them because, you know what, you can judge, you can get a better feel of um, the mood on the floor at meetings, at county board meetings when they're face-to-face, and sometimes if there's a vote coming up, you might see people might be lobbying beforehand or having discussions in corners or rooms and stuff like that before a county board meeting, or you might be pulled aside and they'll, they'll want to raise a topic with you privately, and that kind of stuff can't happen on on Zoom on Zoom calls or team calls or whatever. No, I suppose from a personal point of view, last year what I did find great was um, county PROs. We used to have quarterly meetings with um, the communications team in um, in Crow Park. That wasn't done before. What we used to do before was we used to meet up in January in Crow Park, have a kind of a training day and, and meetings, and then you're kind of left to your own devices. No, last year. We used to meet every couple of months and the county PROs and the team in Crow Park and we'd meet online and we'd trash out things and have discussions what what was going well, what wasn't going well and especially new ideas in terms of streaming, mass streaming and all that. So that was great and meetings like that are, are good where you can have virtual meetings or even subcommittee meetings maybe in Cork where you could have a, a quick CCC meeting which might only take half an hour and instead of dragging people all over the park to Parky Creeve, you can do it online. But I do think I look forward to the day when you can have executive meetings face to face. And I look forward to the day again when you can have county board meetings face to face. And I think that's that's important too as well. One topic that might have um, caused a few arguments at a county board meeting late last year would have been Revels Bounty, Joe, when that was first announced by the Cork County Board. There was reservations, even here in West Cork, there were reservations from some people in some clubs about it. But 
my God, in the space of a couple of months, that's turned on its head because what an incredible success the Rebels Bounty has turned out to be. Um, raised 2.8 million in total with 1.9 million going back to the clubs. Considering this was the first year of Rebels Bounty, how encouraging is it for the board that it's had such a strong start? And we've seen the feedback in the last couple of weeks. It's been so, so positive towards Rebels Bounty. Yeah, well, we were, we were, we were hoping and praying that we would actually have a county board meeting to discuss Rebels Bounty because we actually wanted to trash out all the issues on the floor and we, were, we wanted to get our message across and maybe dispel a few mistruths and misconceptions about Rebels Bounty. And the best way to do that was actually to have it out at a county board meeting and answer people face to face and take all the questions, stay there for a couple of hours and have a good debate. But that didn't happen. So I suppose what we did was we kind of, we, we rang around each club, each member of the executive got 10 or 12 clubs to ring and we rang around the clubs and we just kind of got a feeling and like there was a lot of very positive reception to it at the start. Like, I mean, I rang a few clubs in West Park and they were saying, can we start last week? They wanted to start last week. They were all set to go. No, there was not a number of clubs in West Park that had fears and were worried about meeting targets or whatever. But I think, looking back on it, no, the targets actually focused the minds that they actually kind of said, look, once we hit 50 or 35 or 70 or 100, we're in clear water. This is like... Um, this is, this is a no-brainer. It's like there's a big raffle being organised for us. And once we reach our target, we, we, we can just absolutely sell like mad. And I, I saw that from our own club in Adrigal that even up to the last day, up to the last minute, we were selling. There was tickets flying, being sold online. And um, it was a great success. And I, it was funny that so there was a support committee set up of about six or seven people. And they asked... I think the key to this was to address the issues. So what, like, you could actually divide the Rebels Bounty into the clubs into three sections. So the first third, maybe 50 clubs, they were gone. They just wanted to go out of the traps straight away. Then there was other clubs, about another 50 clubs, that kind of, um, they were, yeah, we'll take it on board and we'll run with it. But then there was the third, the third, third, the, the next, we'll call them 30 clubs, maybe 40 where the support committee actually had online meetings and Zoom meetings with them and kind of, I don't want to say held their hand, but kind of addressed any issues and addressed any fears. And that, I think that was the key. It wasn't the case of the clubs were being lectured and said, right, you're doing this and away you go. It was a case of, look, how can we help you? What can we do? Here are, here are ideas that maybe that you can run with. Here's what your neighbour down the road is doing and they're flying it. So maybe if you took some of their ideas on board and like there was clubs there in, we take West Park, there were small rural clubs that maybe sold 30, 40 tickets to the old county board draw. They came in and they sold 130, 150 tickets in the new draw. And you know, there was clubs in West Park that made 10, 20 grand out of this. And if I probably looked at it even more, into it even deeper, there's clubs that made a lot more. So, I mean, th this has been a great success for the clubs. 1.9 million. That's, I think, last year, I think it was just shy of 700,000 went back to the clubs. Now we have 1.9 million, where, as, as Kevin probably would have said in your own podcast, there was no strictly come dancing. There was no um, lip sync. The, a lot of the club lottos 
where unless they're online, they haven't been happening. So this is, I mean, this has been a great opportunity for clubs. And what is also, if, if my own club is anything to go by, there's a lot more younger people have come on board that the age profile has come down a lot of people who have bought tickets. And that's very important too, is that, that you keep them. So I think a lot of clubs know Rebels Bounty is going to be embedded into their fundraising um, over 12 months into clubs fundraising. What you probably will see happening is that maybe we might launch it before Christmas next year and try and capture the Christmas market. And um, so I think what you might see is maybe the first draws happening in maybe February next year. But you like it would make a great Christmas present, you know, if, um, if you want to buy somebody a Christmas present, you can buy them a Rebels Bounty tickets. And one thing I will say is that the clubs showed some amazing initiative and ideas when it came to online online advertising and the video clips that they were doing and the pictures and there's one club in particular in McCork that were absolutely outstanding and they were one of the best sellers but uh, it's amazing the, the way people think when there's money to be made they can come up with some great ideas and they'd make some great sales people a lot of them so um no, look, obviously, look, the county board have benefited too as well. I think Kevin said between three and 400,000, and that's important too as well, uh, especially in these days. But you asked me who the big winners in Rebels Bounty, and it's the clubs. And what I think too as well, Kieran, is that I think Gerard McCarthy actually touched it in your, in your paper last week that maybe it's allowed the clubs and the county board, or the county board are the clubs, but there's kind of a conception that there's it's seven or eight individuals on a, on a top table. Um, it isn't just the clubs, but it's probably allowed maybe the top table and the clubs come closer together. And it's allowed us to really have a good look and how, how would you say, look under the bonnet of clubs and really see what their problems are. Because what you find is that when the support committee would bring up about Rebels Bounty, they might actually hear what the problems are facing clubs. It might be clubs who have ruled the population or they don't have too many members on the executive or different things. So across Cork, there's a lot of different issues. And I think a lot of those were highlighted in the last couple of months through Rebels Bounty too as well. So it was definitely a worthwhile exercise. No, it was definitely a win-win, Joe. And looking ahead to the GA season, um, to this week coming up, we should find out what the inter-county calendar is shaping up like and what it would look like. The GA are planning to announce the dates, structures and formats for the year ahead. Beyond that, then we don't know when the club season will start, but one look around West Cork and Bear and beyond, we're starting to see pictures of the pitches who, which are looking in pristine condition and they're wanting to be played on day one game. So what's the hope that we get the club players back later in the summer? Yeah, um, look, I suppose I, I sit on the county CCC, so I suppose just to give a bit of background, I would have had done a good bit of work there in... Um, with members of the CCC, especially with the new county chairperson, Pat Harkin, he's the chair of the CCC. So over Christmas, I kind of would have looked at things like the leagues, the setup of the leagues, and what way we could have worked it. And um, I suppose what we were, we kind of came up with a plan at the start of the year, and we kind of kind of brought out that, well, we didn't really formally announce it, but we mentioned it at the county board meeting in January. But that soon went out the window. Um, kind of when we were told that there was when that there was no intercounty coming back under level five. So I suppose look next uh, next Thursday or Friday's document will be very interesting to see what is the plan 
when do they envisage we say a county championship being played or an inter-county championship played what are the dates for um, an all-earned final and then when um, another very important thing for us is when if there will be a provincial and all-earned club series because we're actually dictated by Munster deadlines so what you do is when you're making fixtures you, you put a flag on the ground where your Munster deadline is and you walk backwards so we would need 14 weeks to run off the 2021 championship. Obviously, there's the 2020 games that have to be played too as well at junior level, intermediate, from your intermediate to as well, and senior. So those games have to be played too as well. So you're probably looking at about 15, 16 weeks is what we need. So there'll be a couple of days that we'll be looking at is that we'll be looking at when the other finals are due to be played and we'll also be seeing is where and if there is Munster Council deadlines because that's very important because if you're told that you need to have clubs ready for the start of November for Munster games in the club championship then you're going to have to have your county finals done by the end of October if you're told it goes out to December then you have another month to play with as well so Next week we'll tell a lot and it'll be interesting to see if there will be um, once the club deadlines. When the county board looks back at last year's county championships, Joe, this defined club window, like you said, there are 14 weeks and it was football hurling, football hurling, um, huge success. And it's great to see that this model will be adopted going forward and we have a defined club window. So from the county board's point of view, to see that the club players had that set defined season where they knew they were playing games, they could plan family holidays. They could plan their weekends away because they knew, okay, we're not playing that weekend, but we're definitely playing in in this in this block. So that was a, another big silver lining, I think, that we can take from last year. Yeah, and I would go further and saying that in an ideal world, and we've spoken as the CCC, we've spoken to the divisional secretaries on this that you would actually have defined club weekends, where starting at the start of the year, where you'd have so if the We'd say, for example, if the league begins in, in February, the county leagues, that you might have a block of hurling match, or football matches and then a block of hurling matches and then rotate and vice versa. But also that the divisions would also buy into that too, as well as that when you have county league matches in football, you would have divisional league matches in football too as well. And the same in hurling and the same would apply in championship too as well. So that means it makes fixtures a lot easier say, for example, we'll take a team like um, Sonic Kilty or a team in, in West Cork that might be playing inter-county or sub-county championship. If they're playing football on a certain weekend, it means that if they're footballers, we say the senior footballers are playing, it means that if Calvary organised their junior sub that weekend, that their junior team can play as well in football. But if Calvary were to organise hurling that weekend, you have a problem because some of the footballers are playing hurling too as well, and that's gets when it gets messy because you could have exciting footballers maybe playing on um, a senior footballers playing on a Saturday, and then the hurlers are out that weekend too. So that's where it gets messy. So ideally, you'd have the clan senior footballers playing on a Saturday, and then the junior footballers playing on a Sunday, and there's no, there's no crossover. So I think you will get if if everybody buys into that, the divisions, the, the county as well, it will make life so easier because. What you can also do too as well is that if you have football league matches on, when, when there's a hurling league weekend, you can actually run a football only competition like a Tom Frieden Cup 
So football teams will get extra games there and vice versa, where where you don't have dual players involved uh, on football weekends, you could run a hurling only competition league or kind of a cup competition um, on a knockout basis during the spring and summer. So I think there is, um, before the championship starts, so I think there's great, great scope for, for improvement here. I spoke to a couple of the um, senior inter-county lads last year and they, they were absolutely delighted with this, this season because they said they can focus with the club for X amount of time. This is when the club went first in the inter-county, but they can focus on the club and then they can focus with the county. And I think the idea with the split season is that the county would go first, so you'd have your all-iron finals at the end of July. So basically, you're with most counties, they'll be getting six months with their with their club or with their counties, and then uninterrupted, and then they'll be going to the club. And I think the April for month, April for clubs month, while a good idea in one sense, it didn't really work because what you had, what you had happening was you had some counties who weren't doing it. So take, for example, Cork were doing it. We were putting five, five or six weeks aside in, in April and the start of May, but we could be playing teams in the Munster Championship that might only be playing a game at the start of April. So they were getting longer prep time for the, for the Munster Championship. And that was unfair on our players where we might only, the, our property might get three weeks, but other counties might get four or five or six weeks. So now what you'll see is that once the National League is over, you go straight into the um, in, um, Munster Championships. So uh, that will have benefit too, because everybody be on a level playing field. But I, people say to me, oh, you're, you're giving over August and September to other sports. I don't believe that. You give it over to the clubs. You're playing, you could be playing club championship in Cork, depending how how um, how the season goes with inter-county teams. You could be still playing in, if Cork didn't get to an island final, you could start your county championship in the in the middle of July, and you'd have July, August, September, and play your county finals in October. So you could also see possibly too as well the whole fixture calendar year, because if you were able to play your county finals um, in October, who's to say you can play a provincial club in November, and then you could play your Ireland club finals in December, and it's all done and dusted. And there's no dragging out into the new year, so you can play all your games in that calendar year. But I think there, there is a bit of concern that we're handing it over to other sports, the, you know, the month of September, the month of August. But I disagree because what I found last year is that the media in Cork, and well, especially in Cork, they, they love promoting local games, they love promoting be it yourselves or the different radio stations, the other, the daily newspapers, the regional newspapers. We are so lucky in Cork with the media coverage we get. We have two daily newspapers. We have a number of regional newspapers like yourselves and other ones. And then we have a number of radio stations who love covering club games. And we saw last year with the examiner, the streaming, the, the, the great benefit that was and people were able to tune in. So hopefully this year we will actually get to see people going to games. That's my wish to see people going to games and enjoying the new format of the county championship. Because I remember last year it was so exciting, especially in the last rounds. I used to be sitting in front of my laptop inputting scores, trying, and people would be waiting for the tables to update and update. And on the website, they used to update every five minutes. So people would be texting me, we want to see who's true, or are we in, are we out, are we in a semi-final, are we in a quarter-final, or who are we playing? So there was a lot of people looking at league tables, or 
tables last year in the championship. So, um, uh, yeah, just looking forward to the club championship too as well. Before the GA season kicks off or throws in in a couple of weeks' time, golf courses are open at the end of the month, Joe, and I know how much you love your golf. So what's the first course on your to play list once you can get back out on the course? Well, I remember Bantry, so I'm looking forward to um, to uh, to getting down and playing in Bantry a few rounds. Because I, I, I can't think when's the last time I played. The Masters is on this weekend, Kieran, so that's a, a, a big one. So um, and it, it, it's nice too as well. We must acknowledge too as well um, John Murphy from Kinsale who was selected on the Walker Cup which is a great achievement. I think he's now the fifth Cork person to be selected on the Walker Cup team. But no, I, look, to, 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 it, it would be great to go back golfing but also too as well when I look forward to seeing the kids back on the pitches. Um, I have nieces and nephews there and they're usually a good sounding board or I kind of do my little surveys what the kids think I usually ask them and it's um, they're mad to go back. I have a nephew up there, my godson, he's mad for playing golf, loves the GA. So he was a bit upset there last week when uh, the numbers, the um, the things didn't work out in terms of um, restrictions lifted. But no, I, I love my golf. I love just turning off my phone, getting out onto the golf course for a couple of hours. I have no problem golfing with strangers or with people I know. Um, but no, it, it, it's a great, you do need a break from this in terms of, of the GA because it can really consume your life. Like I remember back in 2019, during the summer, I didn't actually play any golf in 2019. You're talking about 30 or 40 hours a week at GA stuff. So on top of that, uh, there's not much outside of work. If you're doing 40 hours a week in work, you're doing another 30 or 40 hours between going to matches, prepping for matches, you know, organizing interviews. You know yourself, Kieran, stuff that appears in the paper just doesn't, a lot of time, it just doesn't happen by accident that there's interviews to be organized. There's, I'd be touching base on a regular daily basis with the media and Cork, um, kind of if there's stuff to promote. An example would be the, the minor fundraiser that's on this weekend. When I got noticed that, I would have reached out to you and other media people saying, look, how do we do? I'd love to promote this. How can I? What can I do to, to work with the media and putting people up for interview? So there's a lot of work that's that's involved in that, and you know. So look, but I look forward to it. Like I'm, I can't wait for the games. I mean, I was very lucky last year. I only I went to only two club games last year. There were two Adderall games. I went to because of the restrictions because we were restricted on numbers. But I got to go to the um, intercounty matches and. Uh, Especially one in particular above in Party Creek, which are all native county. But um, it was a great game that should not be mentioned. Again, that would not be mentioned. But uh, um, again, but it would be great to see people being able to go back to games, to club games, especially, you know, because it, it's um, inter county matches. Look, there might be restricted crowds and grounds, maybe at the latter stage, especially when they get up to Crow Park. But it'd be great to see just 100 or 200 people spread out in the banks and Dunman Way or other venues in West Cork and throughout Cork, just looking at club games. And I think that it, it would, we had great plans last year for our season tickets and everything like that. And that's something we'll revisit in the future with Cork. But like, it'd be great just to see in the next couple of weeks, the kids going back, training in little pods and meeting their friends and um, socialising again and interacting with them. That's the hope shared by everyone, Joe. Thank you so much for your for your time. You've been great. We've 
touching a lot of subjects here in this podcast this week. So best to look in the season ahead. No doubt we'll be in contact. We've probably been in contact before this podcast, even went live <laughs> on, on Tuesday. So thanks for all your help, Joe, and best to look in the season ahead. And hopefully you'll be out on the course in early May as well. All right. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And before we wrap things up, this week we are, of course, going to preview this Thursday's Southern Star Sports section. So, Kieran, what do you have in store for our readers and subscribers? Plenty going on this week, Jack, off the back of a bank holiday weekend. So, there's a lot of good reading for our readers to to get stuck into this Thursday. We have a look at the three goalkeepers in line for the number one jersey in the Cork footballers. So that's um, Michal A. Martin, who had the jersey last year, the returning Mac White from Clannacilty and Anthony Casey, and Jer McCarthy caught up with former Cork shot stopper Paddy O'Shea to get his thoughts on all three. So that's well worth to read. Also, the European Rowing Championships are starting this Friday in Varese in Italy, and there's six Ghibarine rowers gone out to Italy for this first big major international regatta of a huge Olympic year. So we have Fintan McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan in the Irish men's double. We have Gary O'Donovan in the Irish men's lightweight single. Turning to the women then, we have Eva Casey from Skibbereen is partnering Margaret Kremen from Rochestown in the Irish women's lightweight double. We have Lydia Heafy from Lip in the Irish women's lightweight single and Emily Hegarty from Lysheen, or sorry, Emily Hegarty from Affadown is in the women's four. So that's six skip rowers. And I have interviews with both Eva Casey and Fintan McCarthy in a two-page special on the European Rowan Championships. Like I said, Jack, it's the first big regatta of the year. We're going to get a, a good kind of inclination of where the Irish crews are at after the winter of training, because it's just over 100 days now to the Tokyo Olympics. So preparations are really starting to crank up. So it's going to be a, a good test for our Skibbon Irish rowers in Varese this weekend. We also um, have a look at the West Cork League and we talked to Tygo Sullivan of Doris and Mike Doolan of Drina Rangers just in their thoughts about the, the return of the West Cork League, what it will look like, what should happen. So there's a good soccer stuff there for our readers. We also have a good interview with Mark Collins. He's a young up-and-coming hockey player from Bandon who is in training with the Irish senior men's hockey team. So he's in there rubbing shoulders with the likes of Connor and David Hart. So a good hockey story. Obviously, Gavin Coombs features in this Thursday Southern Star. And we have a lot more as well. So a lot to sink, to sink your teeth into this Thursday, Jack. Brilliant stuff. And as I mentioned, that will be in shops across West Cork and beyond from Thursday morning. But if you can't make it to the shop, you can always subscribe online. Just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and you can read the Southern Star on your computer, tablet or smartphone from anywhere in the world for less than two euro per week. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán